BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, we've been so focused on college football, and particularly the Pac 12 conference, that I think it's time we pivoted to the NFL. Oh, and why not? The NFL's got a football game taking place tonight. The Detroit Lions and the Kansas City Chiefs will uh, play a football game. Travis Kelsey not going to play. A little bit of a surprise. I think a a whole bunch of people interested in uh, how that will manifest itself in the football game. But we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about the Pac-12 games, the college games. We'll get a visit. uh, We'll get a visit and we'll talk friendship on today's show. Yesterday, I wrote about Mike Leach, and Washington State is going to honor the late former Washington State coach at Saturday's game. They're playing Wisconsin. And I wrote about Mike Leach's friend, Wade Hogue. Wade Hogue's going to join us to tell Mike Leach stories on the show today at 4 o'clock. Once you hear for it, he's in his RV sitting in the parking lot at Martin Stadium waiting for Wisconsin and Washington State, which will take place on Saturday. He's already there. He's already in position. College football fans, man, and call it something about college football fans. And I and I probably didn't realize it growing up in the Pacific time zone. You're just you it's it's a little different when you grow up in the Pacific time zone because it's not that there isn't college football games and that they're not a big deal, because they are. It is uh, It is that the games that take place in the Big 12 footprint, largely the Big 12 footprint and the SEC footprint, and to some extent the ACC, those games draw bigger crowds, bigger audiences, more rubbernecking, more interest than some of the other games in the Pacific time zone. And I grew up, again, going to, like, Stanford Stadium or going to see San Jose State or, you know, I was in the Bay Area, and I thought I knew the tailgate. And I didn't know the tailgate, and I found that out when I went to cover Big Ten football. In 1998, I was dispatched to the Midwest, and I was driving through the snow to places like Columbus, Champaign, West Lafayette, Indiana, Bloomington, Indiana, East Lansing, Michigan, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I was going and covering football games. And I realized, oh, this is tailgating. I was in the parking lot in South Bend, Indiana, for a Notre Dame-Purdue game in the early part of the 1998 season. Drew Brees was a freshman at Purdue. Notre Dame had Jaron Jackson at quarterback. Bob Davey was the head coach at Notre Dame. Cam Cameron, who's gone on to be an NFL coordinator, was the head coach at uh, Indiana at the time, and Joe Tiller was over at Purdue. And so I kind of bounced between those programs, and I was covering Notre Dame mainly as a beat reporter, and then I'd bounce over and get some Purdue games and whatnot. But the thing that hit me was, like, when I went to the games, like I actually went into the parking lot, and I was like, this is not like Stanford Stadium's parking lot. The eucalyptus trees and people kind of hanging out and not really talking about the game. People were locked into the Big Ten games. And then I got a taste of the ACC. I was down in Tallahassee, Florida, and I saw kind of the Florida, the scene around Florida State football. It was kind of crazy. 
And then, of course, you know, I've been now to spring games in the SEC and football games in the SEC footprint, and it's just different. It's a it's a mentality. It's a lifestyle. People call it unhinged. Maybe it is, but it certainly feels bigger and more important. Uh, the NFL games do get, uh, I think, a strong following, and I do think you price some people out with the NFL ticket prices. And I do think, though, that some of the NFL – uh, fan bases do tailgate, but they don't quite tailgate like the college programs do. And I got to ask you, Stephen, like when you talk about the passion around the NFL, the passion around the college teams, there's been a lot of talk in recent weeks about college game turning into kind of the semi pro, like NFL light. And I've kind of wondered, you know, would people be turned off by what they see? And then I see the TV ratings for week one. 9 million people watching the Florida State game, 7 million people watching Colorado TCU, even uh, you know 2.3 million people watching Oregon State play San Jose State on a Sunday because it's unopposed. There's no NFL game. It's clear to me that the interest is there, but when you look at the interest in the NFL, the interest in college football, Stephen, what differences do you see in people's passion or focus when it comes to those things? Well, I think, first of all, it would be the gambling aspect in the NFL. It's so much more easier, and whether that's on the actual game or that's fantasy football, things like that, it's so much easier to you know get some money down if you would like to. And so I think that's a big reason why uh, the NFL is a little more popular, uh, just because just cause it's, it's much more accessible to the average person. But I also think the big difference between the NFL and college football is is the skill level in the NFL is so much better than it is in the in the college game. Doesn't mean that it's a better product, but a lot of people want to see the best of the best, and I think that's why the NFL gets certain viewers that way. Where in college football, there's a lot more mistakes. Um, you know, there'll be different penalties, bad throws, bad you know, drop passes. In the NFL, that just doesn't happen, and so that's the biggest difference between the two sports. But where college football gets it going is. The passion because they feel like you know a lot of these fans feel like they're a part of the team or they're a part of the alumni so there is something that is within them where rather than just what city you're from or you know just some random team that you've chosen to like so it's just different in that way but i think for the nfl like you're watching the best of the best and some of these guys just do amazing things that you're just not going to see anywhere else and some people just love that and i love to watch that i love to see you know the best of the best when they're doing it at their uh, at their highest powers but I, I think there's something about the connection that the fans have in a college stadium that feels different to me than the NFL. You know, the, the NFL has largely been positioned as a business, and we even hear players say, hey, it's not personal. They're, we understand there's a business element to this. College, we have always kept, like, kind of the amateurism and maybe the connection, the collegial feel, the regionality of it, and we've always kind of set that aside and gone, you know, there's something special here. You know, when you are watching your team from your region play a game, or if you're a Michigan fan, you feel connected to the Michigan players and the Michigan history, and and you it, you know there's a regionality to it. I, I think some of that is being lost, and I'm curious to see. Of course, a lot of it's being lost. It's being destroyed in, in the Pac-12's case, but I think I'm curious to see if that's going to change the way people feel about college games. Like, will they become less rabid about them? And I do hear fan bases at Oregon State, Washington State, turned off by some of what they've seen. But the game started all of a sudden, and then they very quickly forgot that. And then Oregon State fans are very much into this team and this season. And now, and the numbers certainly suggest that there's not going to be, uh, you know, not going to be any pushback. That people are into the games. They're going to consume the games. Nobody's going away because college football is changing. There's just more and more interest. 
Yeah, but I think it was the perfect the perfect concoction of no NFL games on. It was the first week of the season. Oregon State is a good team, and they had a quarterback in DJ Uyunglele where you know a casual college football fan has heard that name. He's heard that name at Clemson. So he's like, oh, you know, I remember him not being great at Clemson and having some trouble there, and I want to see what he does now. And so I think it was just a perfect example of how there was nothing else basically on TV sports-wise, and so everyone's going to tune into that Oregon State game. I think as soon as you put you know a different game up against that Oregon State game, those numbers aren't even close. Or especially if there's an NFL game, we've seen you know random Thursday nights when they have the Thursday night football. It's two terrible teams. Those games get monster ratings just because of the NFL is king. So I, I just think, yeah, there is an appetite, but I think there's just an appetite for live sports in general when there's nothing else on TV that we really have to tune into. Uh, you know, the, you know, it's really the one last thing that we need to like watch live. Everything else you can just watch, you know, record it. I think sports is the last thing you need to watch live. So when there's nothing else on, no other sports, you're going to get a huge number no matter what the teams are playing. Yesterday, I went and met a source to talk about, you know, what was going on with the Pac-12 conference, and then I ran into some people who were strangers, and there was this lady and and looked like her husband, and they both said to me and turned to me and said, "Hey, what do you think of Colorado?" And I keep getting that everywhere I'm going. What do you think of Colorado? Colorado has captured peripheral sports fans, and the story of Colorado football has captured peripheral sports fans in a way that is very unusual, very unique. This is a program that nobody talked about a year ago. Now everybody's talking about it, and people who aren't diehard fans are talking about Colorado football. Do you think if Colorado loses this week to Nebraska, the story implodes? Or is it a... Long haul, it's a marathon, not a race. Uh, the Coach Prime arrival is going to be a story up and down all season, whether they win games or lose games. What happens this week, win or lose, when they play Nebraska? If they lose, I don't want to say it's going to implode. Uh, it will lose a lot of steam, but it'll be interesting to see what Dion says after the game. And I think that's like the next game that's going to happen is, what does Dion say after in the post game? Because he may say something where it's an excuse, or he may just own it and say, you know what, Nebraska beat us, and it's one of those things. I, we need to see if that happens. So I think it'll lose a little interest just because there are you know, a lot of casual fans that say, you know, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, I remember watching him as a kid or cheering for him, and now look what he's doing, changing the game at Colorado. I think obviously if they win, it's going to continue rolling, and it'll be against Colorado State. They win that game, and then it'll be kind of a climax against Oregon uh, down in Eugene week four when both teams are 3-0. and So I think it'll lose a little luster, but I do. it'll go down to what does Dion say? Maybe Dion says something that will keep riot, you know, riling up fans because that's what they did after the game at TCU, John. Like It wasn't just the win. It was Shadour coming out and saying what he's saying. It was Dion coming out saying what he's saying. And you know, like we talked about, Tom Brady reached out to these guys. Like It was talked about by everybody. And so I think a lot of it is the hype was built by Coach Prime. And I think even if they lose, Coach Prime will be able to continue that hype going into next week. If they're 2-1 and one going to Eugene, I think there's still going to be a lot of hype around this team. I put my picks out today at johnconzano.com. We'll talk about him. We will uh, see what, how, if Steven agrees or disagrees. Uh, we're going to play what we play uh, you know, every week on the show on Thursdays. Uh, fun fact or not, we'll play that later in the program. And we'll get a visit from Wade Hogue, who is friends with Mike Leach. What is it like? To be friends with Mike Leach, like really be friends with him. We're going to talk to one of his best friends who is sitting outside the parking lot at Martin Stadium getting ready to go into the RV parking. I guess they line up days before. 
so that they can get the best spots. And so if you are early, you get a best spot. I didn't know this was a thing. I just show up to the game. I see the RVs, and I assumed everybody just kind of parked normally. But we'll uh, visit with Wade and talk to him about his memories. Mike Leach will be honored at the Washington State game. What's the biggest Pac-12 game of the week? Like, Stephen, let's just kick that around now. Like, the biggest Pac-12 game of the week, and I'm just going to throw out the candidates. Like, Nebraska-Colorado has to be included. Going to be a massive audience on Fox. A, a lot of questions about, you know, can do you believe in Colorado? Can you keep it going? Utah's at Baylor. That game's on ESPN also Saturday morning. That is a huge game. Utah, you know, although it lost some luster when Baylor lost last week, that's a good one. Oregon's at Texas Tech. That one has some implications, certainly in our region. And then I'm going to throw out Wisconsin-Washington uh, State as the maybe the fourth possible big game in the conference. Um, you know, Stanford-USC is a conference game, but I just don't think Stanford can give USC that much trouble. So of the four games I mentioned, or is it someone else? Which is the biggest game in your mind? Well, the crazy part is you're you know you're leaving out two other you know SEC match or uh, Cal takes on um, I'm just blanking right now for a second. Arizona State Auburn. takes on yeah, Auburn. Auburn Cal Auburn Cal Auburn and then Arizona State Oklahoma State like two more big time Power Five teams are facing off against Pac-12 schools. So it'll be interesting to see how the talk is of the conference after the week. I would vote right now. I think Oregon Texas Tech is the biggest game and. It does take a little luster off because Texas Tech lost, but I think we all know how difficult it is to go down to Lubbock, and this is one of those games for Oregon. We know that Oregon is very talented, and I think they may be even a little underranked right now, but that's because of how you know the season last year against Oregon State, people still doubting them a little bit. We're not 100% sold on the Dan Lanning defense. I think we can all agree Oregon is talented enough to get to the college football playoff. And if they can go on the road and beat Texas Tech in Lubbock, where it's going to be unbelievably hot, it's going to be a crazy environment, I think at that point we can buy in and we can say, you know what, Oregon has a real chance to get to the college football playoff this year. That's how good this team is. These are the type of games you need to go on the road and you need to take care of, especially if they take care of business, as Bruce Barnum says they're going to, where it's going to be you know, double digits and Bo Nix is going to be on the sidelines wearing a baseball cap because – they don't need them out there on the field anymore. I think this is a chance for Oregon to really make a statement and say, you know what, Dan Lanning's second season, we're ready to take that next step to get to the college football playoff, and we may take uh, just run the Pac-12 this season. That's how good this Oregon team is. I am looking at the games, and yeah, you know what's funny is I do think Cal's going to beat Auburn. I think they're going to upset him, but I don't think it's one of the biggest games of the week because I think just by virtue of the fact that it's like a 6-6 six and six potential uh, Auburn SEC team against a Cal team that – is not going to fill its home stadium. And the, for, the other you know, SEC game. game was uh, Arizona takes on Mississippi yeah. State down in Starkville. I, that was the one I was yeah. blanking on. But I, I think Wisconsin at Washington State's a big game, and I think it's a big opportunity for Washington State to throw a haymaker of a punch against a Big Ten team, and, it, and it's very rare that a Big Ten team comes to Washington State. By the way, it, Wisconsin is the first uh, Power Five team to make the trip to uh, Martin Stadium for a non-conference game in 25 years. First team in 25 years to go and even play a Power 5 team to go play a non-conference game there. That's huge for for Washington State. But the Oregon-Texas Tech game has to be at the front of the line for me just by virtue of the fact that from a regional standpoint, we're all interested in that and interested in uh, what the tentacles are for that. Utah-Baylor lost some luster for me when Baylor lost. and So I I, I think the contenders for me are Nebraska-Colorado. Huge game. Really curious to see if Nebraska can run the ball in Colorado enough 
to make the fact that Colorado's got better playmakers not matter. Like play, Colorado's more dynamic. Like which is weird to be saying that a week after I was thinking to myself, you know, can call is it possible Colorado's going to go 0 and 3 in their non-conference games? Like and now I'm thinking can they go 3 and 0? Uh, but I don't quite believe in Colorado all the way. Like if Coach Prime was like, do you believe? No, I, I don't quite believe. You look terrific in your debut. And Shador looked great. And Travis Hunter looked great. And the receivers looked great. But you gave up 7.1 yards per rush. And you couldn't run the ball yourself. And this is a Nebraska team that is going to come in and try to run the ball. And so that dynamic I want to see play out. I still think Colorado can win that game. But I think it's really close. Uh, and then I, I think the uh, the Oregon-Texas Tech game would be like the second game for me because even though I think Oregon's going to boat race Texas Tech and Bruce Barnum says they'll win by double digits and Bo Nix will be smiling, um, I, even though he all that evidence is in one corner, I still haven't seen Dan Lanning take a team on the road into a hostile environment and get a good result, like a really good result. You know, we've seen him win games last year, but the biggest games of the year – you know, came at Oregon State, hostile environment, didn't get it done. At home against Washington, didn't get it done. And I'm looking at the season for Oregon, like, you know, obviously they started last year at playing at Georgia. It wasn't a fair fight, but I just haven't seen them do this yet. And so I want to see them go to Texas Tech and do what I think they can do. And I think with Oregon, they have the most to gain in this game. Like, even though Texas Tech lost their opening game, we all can will know that this is a good win if Oregon can get it on the road, where, you know, you talk about Colorado, yeah, it would be a fine win against Nebraska, but the TCU win was bigger. Like, if it was swapped and Oregon's playing Texas Tech week one, Colorado may be a bigger game. But now, now that we're looking at it going forward, if Colorado beats Nebraska, I'm not surprised by it anymore. Where I think if Oregon really does put a beat down on Texas Tech, it's going to elevate them to that next level. And I think not only around the area, but nationally, the Ducks are going to get a lot more respect. So that's, that's why I think Oregon-Texas Tech could be a really big-time ball game um, and be the biggest in the Pac-12 this you know so far in Week 2. Where you talked about Utah-Baylor, and I agree with you. The, the loss by Baylor, I think, was worse uh, than the loss by Texas Tech. And I also just don't consider Utah to be a team that's really going to be competing for the college football playoff, where I think Oregon can get into that level. I'm not quite sure Utah can do it, and I don't think this game against Baylor really can elevate them. Kansas City Chiefs have dominated the NFL in the last few years, two Super Bowls in the last five seasons. They make the top, the conference title game, or better, every year. And here they are tonight uh, in the opening game of the NFL season, hosting the Detroit Lions. Why do you think the NFL put the Lions in this marquee matchup? I am puzzled by this. I guess they're betting on the Lions. That The Lions were pretty good down the stretch last year. Are they betting on that, or what are, what are they doing here? I mean, they were on hard knocks. They were a fun team to watch on that, I think. And then they, you know, they came back and they battled, like you said, at the end of last season, got the win to keep Aaron Rodgers out of the playoffs. So I think they're just trying to build on that momentum. It's not as big a bet as Fox made in Colorado where they went on the top two weeks, but I do think the NFL is making a bet that they think the Lions are going to be you know, contenders this season in the NFC. And, and I'm not ready to make that bet that the Lions are ready to take us next step because I'm with you. I, I was puzzled when I heard the news that the Lions would be opening it up against the Chiefs. I mean, it's such an easy spot to say, hey, let's put Justin Herbert and the Chargers against the Chiefs where those two teams battle. you got two young quarterbacks going at it, but... It'll be an interesting game all game tonight. Travis Kelsey being out. 
I think I, st- I'm, you know, I still like the Chiefs in this one. I'm just not ready to say the Lions are an elite team, an upper echelon team, ready to compete with a team like Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and the Kansas City Chiefs on prime time. But it'll be interesting to see, John, because the Lions, they did have uh, the best offense last season in the NFL, just one of the worst defenses. Can they improve on that a little bit? Dan Campbell, I think people like Dan Campbell is another reason why. Uh, you know, the way he talked on Hard Knocks, the way he talks about just his life, and he drinks all that coffee, and he goes crazy. I think people kind of relate with him. Travis Kelsey, the loss of Kelsey, he suffered a bone bruise in his knee. He'll be out for tonight's game. The Chiefs are not used to playing without him. They're a little bit different without him. You know, you obviously are going to have some other players that try to pick up the uh, the slack there. But to me, this comes down to the Detroit Lions defense. Like, you, you have an opportunity here to play Patrick Mahomes without his favorite, most dangerous target in Travis Kelsey. So that's good. And then you have the Chris Jones holdout that is going on in the back of this and you know he held out a training camp in the preseason it's not clear when he's going to be back so that's an impact too like if if the Chiefs are going to get beat this is the night to get them I agree with you on that one and the only thing going against that is it's, it's going to be a very emotional night in Kansas City as they're you know dropping the banner down uh, I I read they're still expecting Chris Jones to be in attendance in a suite mm. watching the banner being raised uh, up there, even though he's not uh, you know with the team right now, which I thought was a pretty cool gesture that the Chiefs don't really care about it, like he's part of the team uh, and they want him back. But yeah, you're right. If it, they're gonna get him, it's gonna be tonight. And I do think the Lions are gonna come out and they're gonna have something to prove. You know, first half they look for them to be a little explosive on the offensive side, but I think ultimately. Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, like I can't, I can't not trust them in a situation like this against a team that I've, I, I can't trust in a situation like this. Well, we're going to talk all about it. We've got Punch It Audio coming up. Plus, we're going to go to the stadium parking lot, the RV parking lot. We've never done this at Martin Stadium in Pullman, Washington, where Mike Leach's friend Wade Hogue is going to join us to tell stories. Uh, I wrote about it yesterday. They became fast friends. If you want to read it, you can check it out at johnconzano.com. Punch It Audio is right ahead. NFL season starting tonight. We're going to get the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Detroit Lions. More excited about the NFL starting or college football starting uh, a week ago? Uh, college football for me. I, I'm more of a college guy than an NFL guy. Same. But, uh, yeah, I, I do love all the football. just gives me uh, more uh, things to do on the weekend to watch. I love it. You love, I love all the football. I love says. all of it. I love it all. All right, we're going to play some punch and audio. we got great sound from a variety of uh, corners of the sports world. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, let's start with Dan Campbell, Detroit Lions head coach, says, hey, this is just like this is any other game. Do you believe him? Punch it. Honestly, just, uh, you know, like any other week, uh, trying to make sure that, that everything is set up the way it should be set up, you know, that the practice is the way that we want them, the, the game plan looks right. Uh, I think it's no different than other, any other week. Like, how do we play this game? Um, you know, offense, defense, special teams. Um, so, really, just like any other week, honestly, it's just the first one. I believe him to an extent. I believe that coaches have a process. I believe that... 
there's a rhythm to every week, and as a coach, you don't want to make week one, game one on a Thursday night against Patrick Mahomes the biggest game of the year. This is big. This is the Super Bowl. I get it because you're going to have other games and you need to keep it in context and you need to keep your team mentally focused, but it's a pretty big deal. The spotlight's on you, and as coaches will say, you either get exposure or you get exposed. Dan Campbell and the Lions have a little pressure on them tonight. Meanwhile, some pressure on Texas Tech and Oregon. Texas Tech lost last week to Wyoming. Oregon trying to improve to 2-0, traveling to Lubbock on Saturday. 4 o'clock kickoff Pacific time. Greg McElroy thinks this game's going to be close. I think he's nuts. Punch it. I'm going to tell you why Texas Tech keeps it close. I think they will keep it close. I think Oregon ultimately wins the game, but I think it's going to be by a nail-biter there and a photo finish at the very end. Here's the keys to victory. Self-inflicted mistakes last week absolutely crushed Texas Tech. Crushed them. Uh, interception, this bad, bad turnovers, just not good. Bad ball. They missed three field goals. Gino Garcia missed the three field goals. So it was really just not good. Meanwhile, Oregon very clean. Just two flags, no turnovers, just a very no special teams miscues. Very clean game. So self-inflicted mistakes. Can Texas Tech eliminate them? That will give them a real chance to pull off what would be a significant upset. I don't see it the way McElroy sees it. I don't think Texas Tech's going to be able to stop Oregon. Texas Tech struggled to stop Wyoming. I don't think that Texas Tech is going to be able to score on Oregon. The way it's, he was talking, John, was almost as if like Texas Tech is just as talented as Oregon. They just made not. This, and, and they're not. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. I I, I think Bruce Bar- look. I trust I trust Bruce Barnum, Portland State coach, and you know he's got an assessment of it. He's watched film of Texas Tech as he's preparing for Wyoming. He just played Oregon. And he's looking over going, these, uh, yeah, Texas Tech's all right, but Oregon is scary. Do, do you think there's anything that has to do with Oregon was in an 81-7 to blowout, no test, where with Texas Tech, even though they lost and failed, they were in a test game. Does that have any impact on week two, just knowing that they could. have a little, little more experience in that? It could. They went on the road in a hostile environment. They played a double overtime game. There's a little bit of, ur- there's tremendous urgency that Texas Tech's got to win this game, got to play better. Sure, there's some of that. But I also think, I just think in the end, Oregon is talented. What we can't control, what we can't guess or surmise, is whether or not Oregon's going to show up to play. If Oregon shows up to play, Oregon wins this game. But, you know, yeah, if Oregon doesn't show up to play, if they go, oh, those guys lost to Wyoming, and, uh, you know, we're better, and they start looking ahead to Colorado on September 23rd or something, you know, and before in the pregame, then, and yeah, I mean, but I, I just, I, I, it's funny to me to hear, some of the national pundits try to build up Texas Tech. And maybe what they're trying to do, frankly, is maybe they're trying to build up television audience and intrigue in this game because it lost luster. When Texas Tech lost to Wyoming, you better believe not only did Texas Tech lose, but you know there was a net loss to Fox. And Fox was hoping that the big noon audience that you know is tuned in to watch Colorado and Nebraska is going to be staying with them all day and stay with them all the way into the 4 p.m. Saturday game with, uh, you know, Oregon going to Texas Tech. Here's Joel Klatt, who says, don't be so sure that Texas Tech's going to roll over. Punch it. Texas Tech is just a different team at home. It's a tough place to play. 
Oregon's going to find that out. I won't be surprised at all if this is a really tight game late and Oregon's thinking to themselves, like, what's going on? What's happening? That's what happens at Texas Tech. They were 6-1 and one a year ago at home with wins over Texas and Oklahoma. I, they're going to be in this game. They will be in this game. A year ago. Key, key phrase there. Uh, you know, look, I get it. Home field advantage is worth something. In a lot of ways, the Texas Tech program reminds me a little bit of Oregon State and how they play in in how they're positioned in their conference. But I just didn't see it a week ago. You can't go and lose to Wyoming and then expect that you're going to give Oregon a run for the money, home or away. It's, I, I don't goes, see it. It goes back to the conversation we just had last segment where I think Oregon has a lot to gain from this game. Like, they are better, and they should win. And if they go out and do their thing and just play like they should, I think they're going to get a lot of credit for it. If they get if they win by double digits and it's an easy game, I think Oregon can really elevate themselves because Texas Tech is still getting credit around the nation from national people right now. I don't have any concern about Oregon scoring points. I, I'll always, until I see them play a dominant game against a quality opponent, I'll always wonder about the Oregon do- uh, defense, and I think that's where we are today. Trent Bray is the D coordinator at Oregon State. He was asked to give an assessment of uh, you know his defensive backfield against San Jose State. How did they play? Punch it. I, I was very, very pleased with, with what I saw on Sunday because um, I, I think they got good receivers um, at, at San Jose State. They got the one kid, the Nash kid, that's a really good receiver um, and then a really good quarterback. So I was very pleased to see them play well against a good quarterback and a good receiving core. Played well against a good QB, good receiving core that gave that gave uh, USC some problems. And I just I kept using the word subdued. San Jose State looked subdued against Oregon State. They just, it was a coma, it was a nap, it was, you know, they had them in a headlock. I don't know what you, you can use whatever metaphor you want. They were just subdued. And I don't think Trent Bray gets enough credit for the success that Oregon State has on defense. We talk all the time about the offensive line, the run game, Jonathan Smith, Brian Lindgren. This was a, uh, this was a knockout by the Oregon State defense. Yeah, it really was, and it was the one. You know, I had questions about that defense, and you know, Jaden Robinson in the backfield, defensive backfield, he looked awesome. You know, they lost so many guys in the DBs, but I mean, I don't want to say they're better yet, John, because it's only one game. I'm not going to go too crazy, but th- I mean, they look like they didn't lose anything on the defensive backfield because I was expecting San Jose State to score a little bit. They couldn't do anything, like you said. It, they they smothered them. I was impressed. I, I, I'm buying into that defense now. I, I needed to be sold on it, and I was after the one week. Caleb Williams' father gave an interview to GQ magazine in which he suggested that his son may return to USC for another year. It's gamesmanship, right? Here's Dan Patrick talking about that threat. Punch it. You got name, image, and likeness. And let's say the collectives decide, uh, hey, we'll give you $10 million to stay one more year. Now, keep in mind, Bryce Young, as the number one pick, I think he had a signing bonus in his contract uh, salary. It's like $25 million. Uh, you, You have to eventually get into the league to get into that second contract. And you want to wait another year to do that because you don't maybe want to go to the Arizona Cardinals? What's the guarantee that the team the following year is not going to be bad? And it might be Arizona again. But you can do this now. you got to take the hit. 
And, and, and it'll be a brief amount of heat that you're going to take if you decide that you, you don't want to go to a team. Now, you could just say that. Just say, I don't want to go to that team, and I want them to trade me. Look, I think it's a, it's a really smart thing that Caleb Williams' father is doing here. He's floating this idea out. He's not really saying they're going to do it, but he's just saying my son gets, you know, there's two bites of the apple possible here. We've seen quarterbacks dictate where they're drafted. Eli Manning, John Elway, all said, I won't, I'm not going to play for that team. There could be a little bit of that that goes on. I, I made some calls and I talked to some people, both quarterbacks, and even talked to the parent of an NFL quarterback and said, what do you think, as a parent, Caleb Williams' father is doing? And... The reply I got was, hey, it's a cool thing to say, but it's going to be very difficult for Caleb Williams to not come into the league and go, yeah, I'll come back to USC and I'll make 4 or $5 million in NIL money and pass up the ability to go out and get that lucrative, big NFL contract that is waiting on the horizon. Do you think it is at all possible? USC, you know, let's just say they have a great season. They get to call to a playoff and lose. And some booster says, hey, Caleb, we'll give you $10, $12 million to come back to USC. Is that possible that someone could just do that and he'd go back to USC? I don't want to say what's not and is possible in this NIL world. It's not supposed to be, in theory, that way. But, you know, we are seeing programs by players. I am left, though, thinking about, you know, the ability for a quarterback to kind of try to dictate where he goes and say, I won't report there, or I'm not going to play for that team. I don't see Caleb Williams as that kind of guy. I just don't. Not after inter- – maybe he's got me fooled. I don't know. He, he seems like a pro. Like, he seems like an NFL guy who's going to thrive when he gets to the NFL. I, I, I'm with Dan Patrick. Like, why would you wait another season just to, just to dictate where you're going? If you're that good, you're going to be great no matter what. Let's go to Jonathan Smith, Oregon State football coach. I asked him about Aiden Childs, the backup quarterback. Got into the game on Sunday against San Jose State. Looked pretty good. Had a nine-yard rush. Completed three passes. Led a scoring drive. Can you keep Aiden Childs happy without playing him? Here's Jonathan Smith. Punch it. Yeah, we, we definitely wanted to. And so we got the opportunity to get him in the game and not just hand the thing off the whole time. And, and he did. He threw a couple strikes. Shoot, first play he's in. He's moving his feet. Uh, goes to the crosser, which is kind of second in his read, throws a strike, pulls the ball on a kind of a zone read play, gets some yards, and ends up throwing another strike to tight end down the middle of the field. So that was he, – he is a good player, and we do. We want to force the issue as much as we can to get him experience because uh, the sky's the limit with him. Aiden Childs is interesting because as much as I loved G.J. Uyunglele's game, five touchdowns, three passing in the opener – I was struck by the idea that Aiden Childs is the future and might be the near future for Oregon State at quarterback. Can you play him a little bit this year? Do you have to play him a little bit this year, given that there's some uncertainty next season about Oregon State, what conference they'll play in? Does I mean, is it benefit Jonathan Smith to get Aiden Childs some snaps right now? Keep him happy. Make him feel engaged. I don't know. You, you talked about this yesterday when he went into the game. You kind of you know stood up in your chair Woo! a little bit. 
right? Like, yeah. and I think you know, I know I did that. Judah said that he did the same thing. Like, it wasn't as if like we weren't excited to see DJ, but when Aiden came in the game, it's like, all right, let's see what this kid can do. And then he performed well. I, I don't. I want to ask you this: like, there's no way that Ben Gilbrands is the backup quarterback. Like, if something happened no. to DJ, it's Aiden Childs, right? And he's 17 until September 12th, so he's got like five days until he turns 18 years old. But he's that good. And, you know, I texted his mom after the game, and I was like, Aiden looked great. And his mom came back and said, hey, we told him to make the best of every opportunity, even if it's like 30 seconds, make the best of it. And he did. He went out and he played well. It, there's just something about the way the, the ball comes out of his hand and how, how, how smooth he looks on the field. Like, he looks smooth running the ball. And for Coach Smith to say the sky's the limit for that guy, man, that that one jumped off to me. Like. That was that's that's something crazy. You don't really hear that often from coaches, but he says that about seventeen year old. Yeah, he's special. Yeah, he's special. And and it wasn't just me. Like the the game by the time he got into the game, it was out of hand. But it wasn't out of hand to the point where you would just be handing the ball off like like Jonathan Smith said and not caring. And he came in, I said, Oh, Aiden Childs is in and everybody kinda looked up. That was you know, the people in the press really looked up. We all were kind of looking up and then he went back to pass and he threw the pass and we all went, Whoa. It was uh, it was just different, you know, and, and I, you know, he's smooth and he's talented and it's going to be interesting to see how they use him, how they try to keep him happy and develop him while they simultaneously have a season here to navigate with DJ at QB. Our big splash is coming up. Leave it. College football, full slate of games on Saturday. We'll get into our picks a little bit here. Steven and I are going to kick it around and, of course, uh, on tomorrow's program, We'll have final answers uh, later in the show. Is it a fun fact or not? We did that a week ago. Kind of had fun with that, even the ones that weren't fun facts. We'll play that later in the show. We'll get a visit at 4 o'clock from the parking lot at Martin Stadium as Washington State's pre- preparing to play uh, Wisconsin. What's the scene there? The Beavers, meanwhile, will open or reopen or what is this, a mattress store? Uh, the Beavers will uh, unveil. The renovated, newly renovated west side of Reeser Stadium on Saturday. I know a lot of people are excited about that. Anthony Gold, wide receiver, Oregon State, will be joining us on tomorrow's show, courtesy of Jamba, to talk about that. Uh, for people who don't know, uh, the NIL world is a real thing, and Jamba, uh, Steve and the team there, uh, your local Jamba uh, restaurants. Do we call them restaurants, stores, shops? The, your local Jamba. Uh, they have uh, been kind enough to sponsor a running segment all season long where Anthony Gold, Oregon State wide receiver, will be joining us. Uh, tomorrow, it'll, it'll, this week it'll be a Friday, it'll be tomorrow. He'll talk about the opening of Research Stadium for the season, what it's going to be like to see fans there. All that brought to you by Jamba. Um, let's talk a little bit about the big splash. Here we go. The one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, the big news in the NFL. Chiefs injury report becoming the Fantasy Football League bonanza. Travis Kelsey out against the Lions tonight due to an injured knee. If you've got him on your fantasy team, you better make a... uh, you better make a substitution. He's got a hyperextended knee. The Chiefs have designated him as questionable to play in the game on their injury report, but uh, in the end, they're going to go without him. He was injured in practice on Tuesday. 
He's missed three games since his rookie season in 2013. Uh, he missed two of them just because he, he was resting along with the other starters and another game because he had COVID. So this is his first real injury. Chiefs have two other tight ends on their active roster. Keep an eye on Noah Gray and Blake Bell. Gray caught 28 passes and one touchdown last year. Bell missed most of the season with a hip flexor injury, but he's got 60 catches and a touchdown in eight NFL season with five teams. Chiefs also activated Matt Bushman off the practice squad. He could be available as well. Who picks up the slack there? Let's let's talk about those three guys. Steven, Noah Gray, Blake Bell, Matt Bushman. Who becomes Travis Kelsey tonight? Well, I mean, it's out of those three, it's going to be Noah Gray, I think, being the tight end. But I think Patrick Mahomes is going to pick up the slack and just spread it around to more receivers. And, you know, they went out and they, they have Kadarius Toney. Uh, they drafted Rasheed Rice. I, I think it's going to be a, by committee type thing. I don't expect anybody to fill in for Travis Kelsey because nobody can. Like, that guy is a Hall of Famer. He's a one-of-one. One. Like, you can't really find that guy. I, I think it's, it's going to be Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. They'll pick up the slack for Travis Kelsey, and they're going to spread it around to more players. So it'll be really interesting to see because, you know, we've talked about Mahomes in the past and Andy Reid, how they work together and how they, uh, you know, come up with play calls and they come up with their own plays. They're like an artist. They do these type of things. It's the type of game that you want to see your best, you know, adapt to the situation. And the fact that it happened so late into the practice uh, season, right before the game, you know, a couple days ago, it was un, you know, it was unplanned for. So now they're on the on the run, just trying to figure out what to do. I do think the Chiefs still win this ball game, and I do think Patrick Mahomes can figure it out. And just spreads it out to more of his receivers. Let's turn and pivot to the Pac-12 games Monday night or Monday night Thursday night football tonight. Kansas City Chiefs uh, hosting the Detroit Lions. The week two of the college football season, Pac-12 is undefeated, thirteen and zero. Um, Nebraska will open the morning at Colorado, trying to become the first team to defeat a Pac-12 team this season. Uh, simultaneously, Utah will be at Baylor. Those are both 9 a.m. games. I think the Pac-12 team is going to win them both. But, Stephen, better chance to end the Pac-12's win streak, Nebraska or Baylor? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I would go with Nebraska. I, I think Look, and I like Colorado. I like what they did in the offseason. I was buying Deion Sanders, but I think we're overrating them just slightly here after week one. I wasn't impressed with What's TCU. What's up, Bubs? You believe that? You, you, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, no. Do you believe that? I think he's talking to me there, John. Because <laughs> uh, I'm not fully buying in yet to Colorado. I still think, you know, I think they could be a bull team, but, you know, I look at TCU and they got very lucky last season to be undefeated up until the Big 12 title game. The defense wasn't very good a season ago. Looked awful in week one. I think Nebraska can buckle it down a little bit. I, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to pick Nebraska, I don't think, to win the game, John, but would I be shocked if Nebraska goes into Boulder and spoils the Coach Prime party? I, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Nebraska at Colorado or Utah at Baylor. Are you saying Nebraska has the better chance to win? I am, yeah. I agree with you. I think that I think that game's going to be close. I think Colorado Nebraska uh, I think both teams are in the high 20s. I don't think this game's going to be a 45-43 game. It's I think it's more like 28-27, 28-24. In in large part because I just think that's the way Nebraska's going to dictate the pace of the game. Now yeah. Colorado's got playmakers though, and that scares me for Nebraska because I don't think Nebraska can rip off 75-yard touchdowns, and I think Colorado can. 
So I think Nebraska is going to try to run the ball, take 10 or 12 or 14 play drives, and get sevens at the end of it. And Colorado is going to go, okay, we're going to do our thing. I just think over time Nebraska is going to beat up Colorado a little bit in this game. I'm still picking Colorado to win, but I think it's close. I think Utah is going to beat Baylor pretty handily, like 10 I think they're going to cover the 7.5, like 10 points, 14 points. I think Utah is good. Has there been any word on if Cam Rising is looking to play in this game or not? I Yeah, I was calling around this morning, and the best I could get was that peop, you know, Utah is saying he has cleared to practice. If he can go, he will go. If he's 100%, he will go. Otherwise, they'll go with Bryson Barnes, and they'll work in, uh, as they did last week, Nate Johnson. Now, keep an eye on Nate Johnson. Even if Cam Rising plays in the game, keep an eye on Nate Johnson. Johnson, as people remember, got worked into the game plan against Florida last week. He only completed three or four passes, but he had six rushes for 45 yards and a touchdown. I got to think Andy Ludwig, who is very creative, is trying to figure out how do I get Nate Johnson on the field for like two series a game and, you know, maybe that is the breather that Cam Rising needs. If it's Bryson Barnes, it's a change of pace. But I, I expect we're going to see Nate Johnson in that Utah-Baylor game. I think we're going to see plenty of them. Uh, I, I think he get I think he needs to get eight to ten touches. Well, the good right. thing is, is we yeah. know that they can win without Cam Rising, too. So I don't think they need to rush him back for this Baylor game. I think you're right on that one. I put a poll question up uh, on Twitter. If you want to vote on it, you can check it out. More passing yards in Week 2. Bo Nix. Michael Penix Jr., DJ Uangalele, or Cam Ward? You can vote on that. Who has the most passing yards in Week 2? So far, Michael Penix Jr. getting 38% of the vote and leading the way. Leave it here. Washington State will be hosting Wisconsin on Saturday. Power 5 conference team coming to Martin Stadium. Big 10. Showing up. Is, Is Washington State mad? Are they mad like Oregon State is mad? Will they send a message on Saturday? Be fun to see that game. Washington State beat Wisconsin last year, as you may know. You may remember. They get another opportunity to do the same thing, this time at home. I wrote a column yesterday about Mike Leach. You heard Leach on this show over the years. We had a lot of good conversations with Mike Leach on this radio program. Loved having him on. Love talking about everything but, you know, everything but football, I guess. It's kind of what Mike Leach liked to do, right? Every, you know, let's talk about everything but, everything but. Want to talk about aliens? Do I think they're little green men with uh, four fingers? I suspect not. Um, but what I what I think is, um, to me, it seems like it's way too much of an aberration that out of all of existence and everything, that we're the only inhabited planet. I find that to be a strag, but he says, well, it's impossible, you know, folks that will say it's impossible for there to be life on any other planet. Well, isn't the reverse kind of true? Um, it wouldn't the reverse kind of be true? That would, uh, it's, it, isn't it a little more unlikely that we're the only planet that has life? He made you think about things. One time I asked Mike Leach if he ever wanted to be president. It, it was in the run-up to the 2016 election. I think it was about September of 2016. And all that campaigning was going on. And, you know, asked him on air, would you ever want to be president? Uh, you know, the hardest thing about that job is getting that job. Uh, I think the hardest thing is getting that job. Would I want that job? 
well, it's like anybody. I mean, it's like, it's like, it's like my job. You know, everybody sitting at home thinks they want my job. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and, and that's also a job like my job that, that everybody thinks they know how to do that job better than the guy that has it, you know. Uh, would I want that job? Yeah, I think I would. Now, I, my suspicion is, is, is you know, if some if you threw some pixie dust in my direction and I got it, I'd wish I didn't after about a month. But, you know, after I checked out all the stuff, did the museums, flew the airplane, uh, you know, uh, ran around Camp David, uh, you know, went... Uh, <laughs> you know, you could have all kinds of cool tours, you know, Washington and stuff like that. I mean, heck, you could even do a JFK mischief tour, you know? <laughs> like, uh, this is, you know, this is the room where, you know? Yeah. And, um... <laughs> this is the room where. I wrote yesterday about the friendship between Mike Leach and one of the uh, donors and fans at Washington State, guy named Wade Hogg. Uh, Wade Hogue, excuse me, and Wade is currently in the parking lot, I think the RV parking lot, at Martin Stadium. He's going to be joining us here. Wade Hogue joining us. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, John. How are you today? Set the scene for us. Like when you, Are you actually in the RV lot, or how does that work for people who don't own RVs? How do you get into the lot? I am not in the lot yet. Uh, we uh, we utilize a uh, shared student lot for the the games, and so we're not allowed in our parking spaces till 6 p.m. on Thursday. So we're actually probably about oh, I would say half a mile away on a side street, and then we will get uh, piloted the car into the uh, to the lot here at six o'clock. So everybody else can get in the lot at six o'clock. We have to kind of sit on the side and and be ready and hope everybody moves their car. Not uh, not all the time do we get a drive in and, and not have a couple uh, vehicles in their spot for an hour or two. Wade, I, I got to ask you, you know, they're going to honor your old friend Mike Leach at the game. He uh, he was close to you. Uh, what was it like to hang out with him? And, you know, just give us an idea of, you know, the memories and the friendship you had. Um, you, you know, Mike was just uh, an outstanding guy. He, he was very down-to-earth guy. Um, I like I said I met him through the, the school here and we had just connected on a, on a lot of things hanging out with Mike uh, just like uh, your radio program we, we rarely spoke about football um, it just wasn't something we talked about what we were going to talk about I couldn't tell you from one moment to the next um, <laughs> but it was always entertaining um, he, he was a, he was a great guy he was a family guy um, he, you know he loved loved his wife loved his kids loved his grandkids uh, obviously, being a coach of this magnitude took a lot of time away from them. Uh, but uh, um, you know, I got to spend some time with them a few times uh, at the house after a game, and and uh, it was uh, Mike was just really a, a normal guy that uh, could could understand football tremendously. Why do you think he went on those tangents? Because I think one of the reasons he liked coming on this show is we rarely talked football. I'd rarely ask him a football question. It was mo- mainly about whatever was in the news that day. I think he was uh, generally uh, curious uh, by nature. Uh, sometimes, I believe, maybe in a press conference, he didn't want to talk about what somebody else wanted to talk about. So um, who was going to take Mike Leach off of one of those tangents or, or get him back on track? Um, but a lot of it was he just uh, – the, the guy was a sponge. I mean, he, he just remembered everything he ever talked about, everything he read, everything like that. And it would just come up. 
um, you know, and he would he would go with it. There would be no explanation or rhyme or reason of why he just switched topics, and and uh, you know it uh, it was just a great time. You, you couldn't explain why he did those things. He had the home. He and his wife uh, lived in Key West, Florida, in the off season, and you got a chance to spend time with him in Key West. What do you think it was about Key West uh, that appealed to him, and what was he like in that setting? Um, once again, he was a, a normal guy. He was well-recognized in, in Key West, obviously. Uh, everywhere we went, uh, somebody recognized Mike Leach, and, and uh, he was always gracious enough to sit and talk, take a picture, do whatever. That was uh, on the professional side of it. That was how tremendous Mike was. Is, uh, is he, uh, he, he took time for, for everybody. Um, Key West, he just he just enjoyed. I think he enjoyed the simplicity of it. Um, I think he enjoyed the location of it. Uh, you know, Mike, uh, when he lived down there, uh, the time between Texas Tech and Washington State, never owned a car there. Just Sharon and him and the kids had bikes. Um, I, I think he enjoyed all of that. But I also think he enjoyed uh, how it was a, a different place. Lots of ghost stories, lots of pirate stories, all those types of things that uh, um, were right uh, right in his wheelhouse. I remember him talking about cats and when he was talking about Key West, and he was talking about riding his bike around and the stray cats and just sort of the uh, the feel of the neighborhoods. That it was it was very um, you know I don't know how to explain. It's just it, you walked around feeling safe. The first time I was there, uh, we ended up walking around probably until five thirty that uh, that first morning. Um, and the, the cats he loved down there, uh, and it, of course we had to walk all the way down there. Were Hemingway's six-toed cats. And during the day, when you have uh, just a, a gaggle of tourists waiting to get in and, and go through the house, you really can't see the cats. But at night, um, they kind of come out and, and roam the property. So that was one of the spots, you know, you always had to take somebody uh, later at night after we'd been uh, downtown Duval Street and, and show them the, the six-toed cats that Hemingway loved. Wade, I, I got to ask you, you miss him. He was one of your best friends, and you spent time with him. Um, you know, you mentioned to me that you, you couldn't bring yourself to watch the Washington State game or the Mississippi State game, and it, why is that? Um, you know, somebody with with you know, I, I know Mike would think he was really famous, but with the 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 large presence that he had, um, it, it's taken a lot of time to just um, try to move forward. Um, with life. You know, Mike is one of those guys, obviously, I, I think he wrote in the article that we purchased a house in Key West, um, that we planned on, you know, we had made future plans to watch the sunset together. And, um, you know, Mike is everywhere. I, I can't go sit sometimes, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings, and here's Mike Leach, you know, on mm -hmm. the TV. And uh, it was tough. It was tough on, on all of us. It was very tough on his, his family, uh, his wife, Sharon. You know, she supported him for well over 40 years. Uh, a lot of the other coaches that uh, are still at Mississippi State and, and spread around uh, the country from the staff were, were just, uh, it's just different, you know. I mean, you got excited about uh, college football in a different way when you were lucky enough to, uh, to be befriended by Mike Leach. And uh, um, I'm just not ready. I mean, I'll be ready. Well, I'm going to have to be ready come Saturday. But, um, yeah, it's 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 tough. I, I, I miss him quite a bit. Uh, Mike was, uh, uh, what he would say, a tortured soul. That's why he was always up late at night. And uh, uh, there was rarely a day, unless he was traveling out of the country or something, that, that there wasn't a text or two 
in the evening, if not a lot of phone calls that lasted, you know, anywhere from three to five hours. And that that being gone, uh, just tough. Uh, and and it, and it was, and it was great. I mean, that's what I'm saying is it's a, it's a huge loss um, because if anything, he he cared about people, he cared about his friends, his players, his coaches, everybody. And uh, um, there's a large void when he left. Wade Hogue is our guest, uh, longtime Washington State supporter, donor, fan. I know your parents uh, were heavily involved with the Washington State community as well, educators them themselves. And, you know, you, uh, you befriend Mike Leach. Um, tell me about that first meeting, because you go to some athletic department fundraiser, you're seated at a table, there's a dare that it's made, there's a piece of cheesecake, can you shove it in your mouth all at once? Like, it's just a phenomenal scene. Well, I was with uh, when when I found that I'd be sitting with Mike at the table. I brought along a friend of mine named Todd, and uh, we were. Uh, I always tell everybody we, we didn't fully develop in the womb when we were uh, younger, and we we got in trouble a lot of times at weddings, restaurants, wherever, trying to see how much food we can shove in our mouth. And um, we were there, and and it just uh, I believe Jamie Sire was on the uh, the stage. I believe she was the host that evening, uh, uh, and we just kind of lost, you know, I wouldn't say we lost interest, but we weren't following along. And I dared uh, Todd's son, Joey, to, uh, I said, hey, uh, can, you, can you get that piece of cheesecake in your mouth? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I think so. I said, if you can do it, I can do it. And so Joey did it, um, not as well as I did. Joey was, a you know, a 13-year-old child, I think, at the time, or 12. And, and uh, so then it was my turn. And so I just uh, grabbed his dessert tray and probably... Um, zapped any dignity my wife had uh, left uh, away from her as I shoved this thing in my mouth and somebody uh, videotaped it and uh, I, I believe we got I, uh, I believe it was no might have been Jason Gesser on the stage at that time talking to us and uh, he actually scolded Mike and I for not paying attention uh, during his talk and we kind of went oh sorry about that bud but, uh, but, but you, that was but really my- the first time we sat and talked but you had to, like, Mike Leach, uh, his comment on that thing is, like, you know, that that is a uh, that is a hell of a feat, right? And that and that is a, you know, an impressive thing that you were doing. But you had to know in that moment that Mike Leach was different than anybody else to, in that he looked at you and he went, you know, that's a genetic superiority that, that's happening right now that you can get cheesecake in your mouth. A- absolutely. Uh, you know, obviously Mike was uh, was was well-read and uh, very, uh, very intelligent. And some of the, the, the terms and phrases he would come up with over time, um, you know, we have, a, we have a few of them, like, uh, utterly outstanding and those that we use, uh, that he used quite often. But uh, he, he definitely utterly spoke uh, not, not like a football coach. Yeah, he would always utterly outstanding. Uh, we're talking to Wade Hogue, who, longtime Washington State booster, friend of Mike Leach. Now, he leaves Washington State. There were some Washington State fans who were disappointed that he was essentially leaving Washington State to go to Mississippi State. But you transitioned with him. Your friendship carried over that. What was that period of time like for you as he got set up in Starkville and then you go down there to visit him? Yeah, um, you, you know, we had had talks. Most of the time, you got to understand, Mike's, uh, Mike's day ended on Friday, and that's when he would uh, mosey over to – Mike walked everywhere and pulled in. He would do the radio show at uh, um, the local place, and then he'd walk back here, and we'd sit and we'd drink some whiskey and talk, whether with a fan or two that might come by or just him and I and my wife. And 
And, um, you know, I told him at that time, you know, hey, you know, something something were to come along, you, you know, and we were chatting about, you know, just a career. I said, you know, you gotta, you got to work for you. We'll, we'll figure out, you know, that, um, the hanging out later. Uh, I was disappointed, of course, but uh, I was also happy. You, you know, Mike was back coaching in the SEC, head coach. Um, I felt uh, he deserved it. He'd done a, I think he'd done a great job at Washington State. I know there's some some fans that uh, always seem to want to uh, you know knock everything down, but really Mike Mike brought us into a a different uh, level of of uh, football and, and national attention, um, just with a lot of things that uh, go on with Washington State, and uh, it was uh, it was tough for him to leave, obviously, but uh, I was definitely happy nonetheless. I, I knew I'd be seeing Mike, you know, again soon. Let's go back to the pandemic year. Tough season in a lot of places. You get in your RV, you drive it from Oregon all the way to Starkville, Mississippi for the Mississippi State-Auburn game. It gets canceled. What happens? Well, well, you know, it got canceled, I believe, the Monday. That was just a a wild trip. They wanted me to come down. I said, all right, I'll be be down there. And I I made it as far as Boardman, Oregon, which is about 100 miles out of my uh, town at the river. And snow hit everywhere. And I had told uh, I had told Mason Miller and I had told uh, a couple of the other guys in Mike that I was coming down. And I, I was able to get back on the highway Monday and uh, head down there. And Monday during the time it was uh, well, the, the Auburn game was canceled. But uh, there there were a couple things like you know I had uh, I intended on buying fireworks in Missouri, even though he'll tell you the best were in Wyoming. I, I wasn't going to be in Wyoming when uh, I was driving through. And uh, so we got down there and um, you know we he showed me all around Starkville. It was a great time. Uh, we went out and ate, but um, it was uh, first year he was there, so we just kind of, you know, I parked it and uh, um, sat there, and 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 we talked, and and uh, some of the, you know, a couple coaches came over, a couple of the GAs that had uh, come from Washington State, and we just kind of hung out. Uh, where do you, you know, park the RV? Like, like where much. do you? Because there's no stadium, so where do you park? It, oh, there I just parked it in the driveway of this in, house. in Mike Leach's driveway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, horribly, I think I left an oil stain there, too, you know. I, I'll be honest with you. I never said anything, but I'm like, I don't know if that's mine or not. And then when I went back there uh, a year later, I looked, and it was gone. So, um, obviously, somebody cleaned it up, but uh, uh, I never, you know, I never quite referenced that leak that I had. But it is what it is. We find out things about him, and I guess we learn things about him that I never knew. And one of them I got from you is that, I didn't know he was into art and, and collecting art and had an interest in art. The, where do you think that stemmed from, and what was he into? Um, he, he, we talked a lot about Western art. Uh, like I said, I, I, uh, I, I like Warhol, so that morphed into that, obviously, and there was a connection there with uh, you know, him doing Geronimo and that one suite and him writing a book about it. Um, he, he liked a lot of uh, artists that had come from Cody, Wyoming. There were a couple famous ones, of course, I can't recall their names right now uh you know he liked uh, the bronzes the remingtons russells um mike mike liked things that were you know visually appealing mike liked things that just made him happy you know it's, it didn't have to be a a million dollar picture it just had to be something that was you know architecturally uh unique or uh whatever if you're looking at buildings or or he loved uh, and you know key west he'd tell you about all sorts of ghost stories and this that and this building and what it was and what it became uh, those are the things he just uh, anything that made him happy. He he uh, he liked to talk about, and and him and I kind of connected on art uh, a little bit. Wade Hogue is our guest, Washington State fan. All right, this game 
on Saturday. Big game. Wisconsin coming to town. Leach will be honored. What would it mean for Washington State and for the fan base and for boosters and donors like yourself to see the Cougars get a win? Well, um, obviously we always want to win. Um, you know, it's uh, uh, the, the first thing as a Coug, you, you learn to uh, do without sometimes, unfortunately. I've been one of my entire life. But I think going into this game, I, I believe we have a really good chance. Um, we have uh, Jake's prepared the kids really well. Our quarterback's doing well. Our defense looks good. Um, we do know that Wisconsin will be uh, upset with us for uh, beating them in their home last year. But I, I think it's a, a huge game, and I'm hoping that uh, we can, um, you know, just the energy of the here, the sellout, uh, the honoring of Mike, and all those things, we can use a lot of that emotional energy and all those things that's pent up to, uh, uh, to pull off a win. It's, and it would be huge. It would be huge considering our situation with, uh, um, you know, uh, where we're at with Oregon State right now and the Pac-12 and everybody leaving. Uh, we we want to. We want to go and, and, and punch these guys in the face and, uh, and and let everybody know, hey, you know what, you, you, you look past somebody, and uh, and that was wrong. So um, I'm hoping we can do it. And I think we have a great chance to do it, to be honest. Wade Hogue, I appreciate you coming on, sharing your stories, your friendship with Mike Leach. And, you know, in the end, why do you, why do you think, you know, why why do you think he picked you as a friend? Because, you know, it, and I don't mean that with disrespect. I mean, just what do you think it was that drew him maybe to you or you to him? That Why did that friendship work? You know, I, uh, I, I, I think about that a lot. You know, Mike, Mike had just, you know, everybody wanted to be Mike's friend. I, I don't know why. Um, you know, one day I was out of practice um, after I talked with him for, you know, the remainder of the, of the year after the uh, night with Cougar football in Vancouver. And um, he said, hey, I think I'm gonna come check out the RV lot at your place tonight, you know? And I said, okay. And, um, you know, we just we just kind of hit it off. I, I, I really I really couldn't tell you. I, I often wonder, I, I don't even think I've been able to, to reconcile uh, that that idea of why why I became friends with Mike. It, it just It just worked. Um, you know, we enjoyed each other's company. We enjoyed each other's humor. Uh, we enjoyed the fact that one of the things we, we spoke about was we, we really never wanted anything from each other. All we wanted to do was hang out and, and uh, shoot the breeze, drink some whiskey, uh, and enjoy life. And I think that worked out well for him, and it worked out well for me. And, and, and you know, the, the other, all the other friends, too. You know, I, I, I was a short part of, of Mike's life, only just a few years. But... Uh, I think uh, just, you know, Mike, if I, if I give you a story really quick, we met a, a gentleman when we were in Key West in, the, uh, uh, in my house. We'd sat there, and, and, our, and our friend Joe had brought a couple buddies over. Gosh, it was, God, 2.30 in the morning, and we were sitting there drinking whiskey. And, but they had a pizza from Mr. Z's, so we didn't care. And we met a gentleman that, uh, um, you know, he had had some substance abuse issues. And we sat and talked to him, right? And, and we're sitting there talking and talking. And, and to look at this cat, you're thinking, you know, hey, something's, something's not right, you know, or something. He's, he's, he's had a rough go with it. And uh, this guy had ridden his bike. He, his mom had kept a cell phone on, ridden his bike, and left uh, the town. She said, I'll keep your phone on, but don't ever come back. And so he started riding, and he hit uh, homeless shelters and places like that. He'd stay a while, do some work. And, and he found salvation and sobriety. 
uh, riding his bike, uh, not a great bike, you know, just a straight up, you bought him at Walmart, $100 bike, across the United States twice. And uh, this, the stories were great. Well, the gentleman gets up to uh, go to the restroom, and uh, Mike leans over me and says, oh, my God, when are we ever going to meet a guy that's ridden his bike across the United States twice? You know, we're never going to do that. And he was just, like, so excited. And I think that, kind of in a nutshell, is, is what it is. Mike, Mike would talk to anybody, and if they had uh, a good story, man, he was in. And, his, and his, one of Mike's biggest questions you got to understand was, why? It would almost drive us up a while because you know he wouldn't give any other. Why? Why is that? Why? And um, and that's just why how Mike was. He was uh, um, just a great, great individual. And 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 uh, uh, I I don't think he really. I don't think Mike really knew how uh, great of a person he is. And I think uh, most of the people that you meet like that uh, or would say that about uh, is the reason why they are great. If that makes any sense. Makes total sense, and I can tell you miss him. Miss him tremendously. Wade Hogue, thank you. Good luck this weekend, and uh, I'll catch you down the road. Thanks, John. Take care. Good luck. All right. Bye-bye. There he is. Wade Hogue talking about his friend Mike Leach. I love that. It's a different kind of interview, but, uh, you know, you, you we know Mike Leach from his interviews on this show. He'll be honored on Saturday at Martin Stadium. They're going to give away flags to the students and to the first 5,000 people through the gates. They're going to give T-shirts to the student section. But in the end, um, I think it's great to get that kind of perspective with somebody who was hanging out with them. All right, we got so much to talk about. Busy sports weekend ahead, NFL game tonight. Leave it here. I don't know if it was a weird question that I asked our last guest, Wade Hogue, as he's talking about his friendship with Mike Leach. But I, I think about it all the time. Like, why are you friends with the people that you're friends with? Uh, how does it make sense? Is it a friendship of convenience? Are you friends because, hey, they live two doors down and or your kids play on the same soccer team? Or uh, within that, is there some reason why you connect with somebody else? I just think that's that's always interesting. Uh, and And... I ask myself that all the time, too, with my own friends. I say, you know, why, why are they friends with me? Why am I friends with them? How did this work? How did this, how did this become a thing? Um, you know, I spend time thinking about that stuff. But a good interview with Wade Hogue. And, you know, the thing that Mike Leach did, I think, you know, a lot, and maybe better than others, better than coach, a lot of coaches certainly, is I think he made people feel important, people that were around him. Wade was talking about the homeless guy with the addiction problem. Uh, I know that when he did interviews on this show, there were a lot of times that Mike Leach was doing an interview with us. And what was he doing? He was walking around campus. He was talking to students. He would break from doing the interview to say hi to somebody. He was one time walking. He went into a coffee shop, talked to the barista. He was at a gas station pumping his gas. You could hear him talking to the gas station attendant. Like, he just made people in his circle feel important. And I think that was a gift that he had. And I think there are some people that really do that better than others. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. 503-417-7575. Michael is in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene, but oh, by the way, driving to Lubbock, Texas for the Ducks-Texas Tech game. Are you on the road right now? Where are you? Albuquerque, New Mexico, John. We have a house <laughs> down here, so it's kind of a misnomer there. But yeah, we're five hours from Lubbock. We'll be heading out in the morning. Love that. All right, give us what's on your mind, man. You're going to go to the game. That's awesome. 
Well, my girlfriend is a Red Raider, so we are going to the Triple J Chop House tomorrow night. A little bit of live music. We're going to celebrate Jimmy Buffett. Anything is possible because I'm drinking frozen margaritas tomorrow night. I love that. <laughs> we'll be ready to rock. but uh, And I think the Ducks will win by about 10. I love your column and the Portland State coach had some insight. I, I wish Tech was undefeated because I'd like to see that. I think they were looking past. But a little bird, Hacksaw in Phoenix, that crazy guy had a take. And I wanted to give it to you because I knew you will exhaust it and figure out if it is true. He said that as the George K. president train car wreck was happening down the stretch with the media negotiation that Phil Knight and Nike offered to negotiate by proxy. I mean, how great would they be at that? And that the president at ASU is what my sources tell me. He got jealous and killed it and thought the Ducks would maybe come back and ask for more at the table. But that is the cherry on top for me. You have the best sports marketing company in the world offer to talk to Fox and ESPN on behalf of the entire conference to save it, which left us little choice when they showed up with that Amway triangle marketing nonsense. Um, but I'll bet you anything it's true because Phil Knight loved the Pac-10 back to the Pac-8. I mean, he loved it. But wouldn't that be perfect if he actually offered to be savior and get that number just to 34 million or 35? Let's all move forward. They said, no thanks, Nike and Phil. We don't need your help. So I'd like your thoughts about that. And go Ducks, John. You're the best, buddy. Right. I appreciate so you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Look, uh, first of all, I think Oregon's going to win big in Lubbock. I'm not buying the narrative that is being sold, in part by Fox right now, because I think Fox wants people to see that game as a compelling game. I still think it's going to be compelling in the Pacific Northwest, but I think Oregon is going to beat uh, Texas Tech. I, I think they're going to beat them soundly. I, th I agree with Bruce Barnum. I think it's going to be a double-digit win for Oregon. On the, on the idea, on the notion of Nike getting involved, um, probably there was probably an overture of some kind. I can find out. I'll run it down the flag up the flagpole. I don't. I don't know if it matters though, because the the more I started to unpack what went wrong at the Pac-12 level over and over and over again, the more I realized and recognized that it was just a simple failure of leadership. It was a failure of leadership by Larry Scott, the former commissioner. Failure of leadership by the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors. Failure of leadership by Scott's successor, George Klyovkov. Terrible performance by Klyovkov, who should have, should have managed his bosses better. You know, I had somebody tell me, all Klyovkov can do is lead the presidents and chancellors to water. He can't make them drink. That's true to a certain extent. But part of the job of a good commissioner, Rob Manfred, Roger Goodell, Greg Sankey in the SEC, uh, part of the job of a good uh, commissioner is managing your bosses. Managing the expectations of the people in the room, you know, steering them into the right consultant and the, into the right deal and and then getting that deal done, presenting that deal and getting it done. And that did not happen. Um, I think that what we're going to see subsequently on this Oregon State, Washington State front, I think we're going to see lawyers, lawyers and more lawyers 
Uh, John Wilner had a piece today saying that Oregon State and Washington State were frustrated that they were not getting good answers from the Pac-12 conference. The Pac-12 is pushing back against that, saying they've been forthcoming. But, um, you know, I'll side with Washington State and Oregon State here. They've got the better track record. I ultimately think, though, there's a really good chance that this is coming down to a settlement with the 10 departing schools having to settle with the two schools left behind and leave them, you know, a large sum of money, probably. Uh, the NCAA tournament units, the emergency fund, the uh, there are equivalency payments that are coming from the Rose Bowl to the Pac-12 conference, $100 million after this year. Who gets those? That's all up in the air. Um, full disclosure, Oliver Luck, the consultant at Washington State and Oregon State, hired. He was in Corvallis yesterday. I uh, scrambled out after the show and met him and sat down with him, talked with him for a while, had a great conversation with him, and kind of got an idea of what Oregon State and Washington State are thinking at this point. Um, he was in you know downtown Portland last night, and I just sat down with him, and we talked for about an hour and a half. And, you know, he kind of gave me some insight on, you know, what his role is and what he's thinking. And it's nothing groundbreaking. I mean, I think we all know that Washington State and Oregon State would prefer to rebuild the Pac-2 conference into something else. And why are they preferring to do that? Well, because there's some money tied to this conference. How much? We don't know. Nobody knows. But the sooner they can sort through that stuff, the better off they'll be. My question is, why isn't Oregon State and Washington State waving their arms a little more and being more vocal about sort of the predicament they're in and how much they were screwed by what happened. You know, you can blame Fox. You can blame Oregon or Washington. You can blame major college football. You can blame greed. You can blame the NCAA. But what you cannot blame for the predicament that Washington State and Oregon State ended up in is Washington and Oregon State. They are truly victims in this uh, in this uh, scenario, in this drama. And I'm just curious why they're not spending more time talking publicly about the raw deal that they got. And maybe, like, you know, damn well, that Col- if this were happening to Colorado, what would Coach Prime be doing? He'd be out saying, it's us against the world. They don't want us to be part of college football. We're going to punch back. We're the uninvited guest. I would like to see Washington State and Oregon State do a little bit of that. And maybe it doesn't help them now. It's not going to help include them in the Big Ten or the SEC. But if if the uh, if the uh, you know trajectory of college football does end up being, hey, there's going to be 40 teams in the end that really matter. When the decision comes down to pick which 40 teams are going to belong in that grouping of major college football, who's going to be part of the halves, if you have spent a couple of years positioning yourself and your brand as we got screwed and we're not going away if if that is your public narrative i think you're in a better position than just sitting back going well we're going to make the best of it and well, we're just you know our plan is like i would just like to see a more vocal more pointed approach by Oregon State and Washington State from a public relations standpoint. Go out and hire one of the best PR firms in the country and go out and say, hey, we're, uh, you know, we got screwed. That could be the whole message. Put it on a billboard. We got hosed. 
but we're not going away. Or we're the uninvited guests, and guess what? We're not leaving Power 5 football. We refuse to leave the party. You know, you've left us, but we're refusing to go home. Something like that. Like, seize control of the narrative. Instead of just sitting back and looking like, well, poor old Washington State and Oregon State, victim of their small media markets. I just kind of wonder why they're not doing more of that. All right, coming up, Stephen and I are going to play a game called Fun Fact or Not. Leave it here. I've never been driving along and seen like a deer crossing the road and thought anything other than that's a deer. What I'm saying is I know a deer when I see one. Do you know a fact, a fun fact, when you hear one? That is a segment we have uh, now begun to informally play on Thursdays. And the Pac-12 research team, Greg at the Pac-12 headquarters, has been kind enough every week to send me 12 fun stats to know about the teams in the Pac-12 conference. Are these, in fact, fun facts? Let's start with Arizona. Okay, we're going to go around the room. Judah, me, Stephen, Anna may pop in here or she may not. But Arizona is seeking a 2-0 start for the first time since 2015. And they're looking for their first win over an SEC opponent in nearly 50 years. Last time they beat an SEC opponent, 1976, they beat Auburn. Arizona is traveling to Mississippi State, seeking a 2-0 start and a win over an SEC opponent. Is that a fun fact or not? I'll uh, I'll kick it off. I'll say that is a fun fact. Uh, you know, I there's always the rivalry of every fan base hating the SEC unless you're in the SEC. Uh, so to hear that they haven't beaten them in so long and this could really be a history making win for Arizona, I think that is a fun. I'll go fun fact. Yeah, Judah, I'll go I'll go fun fact too. I, although it's it's a little too hypothetical for my taste, but at the same time, it's Arizona football. Like, if if you give me a scenario that Arizona football is cool and relevant, then yeah, I'll buy in. I think that's fun. I think it's fun because it's very specific for me. Like, it's two. You're looking for a two and zero start, first time since 2015, and your first win over an SEC opponent in nearly 50 years doesn't feel like a reach to me. So I'll say fun fact on number one for Arizona. So well done by Greg. Number two, Arizona State, fun fact or not, head coach Kenny Dillingham was 14 years old when Oklahoma State coach Mike Gundy made his debut as a head coach in 2005 with Oklahoma State. Kenny is 14 years old. Fun fact or not? Uh, Not fun fact for me. I I feel like that's just, that's very boring, has nothing to do with anything. Uh, Yeah, we all know Kenny Dillingham is young and he's very talented, but that's a no. That's a no for a fun fact to me. I feel like we need to keep track of like the records of what the teams are for fun fact or not. Like, you know, Arizona State <laughs> one and one now in fun facts, but one and one. That's a well, that, that's a no fun fact for me. I, I I actually really I really dislike that fact. I think it would be more fun if he was like way younger, like six, like wasn't born or something. Or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, Fourteen. I, like, I don't know about that. I I disagree with both you guys. I think I think it's another way to say <laughs> Kenny Dillingham's young. But, you know, think about this. There might be a 14-year-old kid out there watching Kenny Dillingham coach this game who will one day coach against Kenny Dillingham. Now, if Kenny like, Dillingham came you know, said, I'm a man, I'm 14, you know, then that would have been pretty fun. Fun. I say fun fact. You guys say no. You <laughs> outvote me two to one. All right, Cal, fun fact. Cal set Justin Wilcox-era highs last Saturday in points, 58, total yards, 669, 
Rushing yards, 357, and rushing touchdowns, six. Fun fact or not? That's fun. That is a fun fact to me because uh, Cal's one of those teams where you don't you don't know about their offense and they exploded. So to hear that it was the best performance ever from Justin Wilcox's team, that's uh, that's a really fun fact and makes me think maybe Cal Cal might be fun this year. Uh, so fun fact, yes. Yeah, I'll, I'll go fun, but I, the Justin Wilcox piece, I think that's more of a Jake Spavital. You know, put Jake Spavital's name in there instead of Wilcox. Although Wilcox did hire him, but. Man, it's Spavadol in uh, in the QB making that making that stat relevant. I don't like it because it leaves out. I think the most important part of the fact that it came against North Texas. Okay, this didn't come against Texas. This didn't come against Oklahoma. Didn't come against a Pac-12 team. It came against North Texas. They leave that part out, and so it becomes less fun for me. Yeah, like you know, give me the records that Oregon set against Portland State from last week without telling me they played Portland State. That's you know, you can't leave that piece out. So for me, not a fun fact. All right, number four among our fun facts is Colorado. Fun fact or not, four different Colorado receivers had 100 receiving yards in week one. And by the way, those represent the four highest receiving yard totals for Colorado receivers making their debuts all time. So two different facts in there. Is that fun enough for you? Uh, yeah, I'd say fun enough because it kind of it, it defines exactly what Colorado is, and that's they added so many players in the portal. Where it's like you know they set all these newcomer records to door sets the all time passing record. Like I, that's fun because that's exactly what Coach Prime wanted was to bring in all these guys, and they all performed. So I'm gonna go fun. Yeah, I I, I really wanted to say it's not fun, but four different hundred yard receivers. I mean. That's crazy. That may be more crazy than it is fun. I don't know if there's a difference, but I'd say more crazy stat than fun stat, but that's pretty wild. Wasn't fun for TCU. I'll say that. <laughs> I, uh, moving on to the fifth, Oregon. All right. The Oregon Duck did 546 push-ups as the Ducks scored a modern-era program record 81 points against Portland State. Fun fact or no? Now, I would say fun fact, John, but they didn't talk about, you know, they left out Portland State. Does it matter then? Does it even count? That's what you no, just... they said Portland State. They said modern record, 81 points against Portland State. Yeah, but you got mad about the North Texas thing, so I don't know. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'll am gonna, i go fun. I'll go fun. Cause I, don't, I disagree. Pushes. I don't think it's fun because I think it, it's, it's kind of, to me, it's hokey. It's a cliche. The Duck did push-ups. I kept hearing it. I kept seeing it on TV. People kept saying it. I never once smiled or laughed. I didn't think it was fun. It didn't look fun for the duck. So I'm saying not a fun fact. Judah? Do you see the push-ups that duck does? I mean, his bill gets in the way. He doesn't even have to, like, bend down. It's not down. a real push-up. Oh, fake push-ups? Totally fake. Yeah, that, that's not fun to me. I had a middle school PE teacher, Coach McConnon. He would not have counted those. Those no would not have counted. Coach McConnon, may your, uh, may your soul rest. Fun, um, fun, uh, fun PE teacher? He was good. He was a good teacher. Okay. Uh, Oregon State is our number six fun fact. Damian Martinez had seven carries of at least 10 yards against San Jose State. That was the most runs of at least 10 yards by any running back in college football in week one. Fun fact or not? Judy, go first. I got it. See, that to me, it's is this splitting hairs to call that like a badass stat, but not really a fun stat? To me, it's really cool. And by the way, that guy, he's an NFL player. That guy, Damian Martinez, he he looks like a Steven Jackson type of player to me. I I would say that's not fun, but it is still like it's still really cool. I go badass stat for that. I'll go 
Um, I'll go fun. I'll go fun because you put it in the whole nation. If it was just the conference, I think, yeah, whatever. But nationally, you know, the best performance basically out of any running back, the offensive line was awesome. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go fun. Fun enough. You know, it was funny because it, I left the press box thinking about that, the fact that he had so many big runs in that game against San Jose State. Uh, seven carries of at least 10 yards was more than any running back in week one in, in in college football. So I'll say fun fact. Stanford. Stanford has 29 victories over AP top 25 teams in the Pac-12 era. That is first in the conference. They're playing number six USC this week. Fun fact or not? No, not a fun fact because um, it has nothing to do with this game or the season. So, I, I mean, they're not going to win. They're not going to add to that number this week. So, yeah, they were they were good when they had Jim Harbaugh and David Shaw as a coach, but now they're not ready to compete on that level. It's, it's not fun to me. Not, not much fun about Stanford in general, I, I would say. So, no, not fun. I'm going to say not a fun fact because I don't really think the 29 victories since the Pac-12 era – have anything to do with what's going to happen this week. Like, you know, it's like, how many of these guys were there for those games when Andrew Luck was playing quarterback? How many, you know, I it just doesn't make sense to me. I don't like it. Moving on. UCLA, 10-0 and since the start of last season when they run more run plays than pass plays. Chip Kelly is undefeated 10-0 and when he rushes more than he passes. Fun fact or no? I'll go with... No, because I, I expect Chip Kelly's teams to run more, and so they're that, that like when they're successful, you run more. When you're winning in ball games, you're running out the clock. You know, most teams do run more when they win games because they're running the clock down. So no, I, it's not fun to me. It's just kind of it is what it is. No, I, I will go fun because I don't know. I'll have, I'll have to look into that. Do teams really run the ball more? You know, when they're winning game, I think that's conventional thinking, but I. I don't necessarily believe that that's totally commonplace. I think that is fun. That stands out to me that, you, you know, more run plays and pass plays equals victories for Chip Kelly teams. I like that. Lincoln Riley at USC, 24-1 and in games played in August or September. His lone loss came in September of 2020 against Kansas State when he was at Oklahoma. He's 24-1 and in August and September. Fun fact or not? Uh, that's fun. Uh, I wish it was more towards the end of the season in the college football playoff, but I'll give them fun. No, that's not fun. It's terrible non-conference scheduling. I think uh, I think it's funny. It's not fun. It's <laughs> it's just all right. They're I agree that they're not scheduling great. He's six and zero at USC in that run. I don't know what the eighteen and one record at Oklahoma has to do with anything that we're really talking about. Coming up, we'll finish this with Utah, Washington, and Washington State. Plus, Stephen's going to give us a quick five at five. I want you to leave it here. You get the BFT statewide on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Fun fact or not. Plus, we'll take some phone calls. Leave it here. Well, we're going to finish up the fun facts, fun fact or not, and then jump into the five at five. We'll also uh, take some phone calls. What's the biggest college football game of the weekend? Which game are you focused on? 503-417-7575 is the number. Uh, really quickly, guys, Utah. Fun fact number 10. Utah scored on their first play from scrimmage against Florida. First time the Utes have scored on the first play of the game since 2012 against Colorado. Fun fact or not? Uh, Not a fun fact to me because the offense wasn't very good after that. So, yeah, they had one good play. It doesn't really matter. They had one bomb play. They could have done it any time. They did the first play of the game. It doesn't matter. Backup quarterback, so I'll say fun fact. (laughs) I, I 
thought it was a fun play. Play action pass when everybody thought you were going to run. Great call by Andy Ludwig. But I don't think it's a fun fact because it's it's rare when you see a team score on one play right at the beginning of the game on their first series, their first play of any half, first play of the game, first play of the first game. It's rare. And so it didn't surprise me that it's the first time that they've scored on their first play in 11 seasons. Like, eh, okay, let's, you know, less than 10%. Or, uh, it's about what I thought. Washington, fun fact or not, had 12 pass plays of at least 20 yards against Boise State. Uh, is that a fun fact? No, not a fun fact again. I, you know, That's what I expect. <laughs> I expected Michael Penix to do that, so it's not surprising. It feels a little lazy. Lazy fact on that one. Lazy. I'll, I'll go fun because I, I couldn't help but smile while I was watching the UW offense last night. I know Duck fans don't want to hear that, but that offense is so nice. I think the fact itself is lazy. I agree with Steven. I think they got to the W's and they went, all right, what do we got? You know, it's... He had five touchdown passes in the game. That's more interesting to, to me than 12 pass plays of 20 yards. Like, he was the only quarterback in the country last year who had every game he had a 300-yard passing game. So did he keep it going? That would have been a, that would have been a fun fact. Like, you know, it, hey, he's got one more. Uh, okay, finally, Washington State. Washington State will be hosting a ranked non-conference opponent for the first time ever with Wisconsin coming to town. They're the only Power 5 school in the country who has not hosted a game against a ranked non-conference opponent. How about them, Apples? That's really fun, actually. I, I, I find that fascinating and fun, and I think they're going to get their first win over a ranked non-conference opponent uh, against Wisconsin. So, yeah, that's fun. W- was that the last one, John? Last stat? That's it? I think that's the best for last. That's, that, yeah. that was my favorite one by far. I mean, that, ranked that's incredible. non-conference opponent. Only Power 5 school that has not hosted a game against a ranked non-conference opponent. It tells you that that, crazy. that other Power 5s, so, because mostly Power 5 schools are going to be ranked, right? Mostly. So it tells me that the Power 5 schools don't want to play at Martin Stadium. So Because you would have figured, you know, 1984, would somebody have come there? 1989, you know, somebody would have come to play Washington State at Martin Stadium that was ranked and and it just tells you that they're not the the power five schools don't want to play there non-conference games at least good stuff let's take a phone call let's go to turk who is called in i've asked which college football game are you focused on turk what are you thinking about i am focused on bama and texas i'll tell you why i looked at the line texas is favored by seven okay i think texas is going to beat them by 20 plus and I'd like to get your opinion on that. Bama's the seven-point favorite. You can't base everything on one game, right? Texas and Rice, okay. Maybe Rice wins out and you go, hey, Rice is a good team. I don't know, but I don't think so. You going to be watching that game? Heck, yeah. I got a bet with, uh, you know, the other guy I bet with, Skunk Ape. uh, Okay, so let me ask you. So what's the spread on the game in your mind? It's seven. I think it should be more around double But who's digits. favored? Who's favored in this game? Well, who do you think? It's Alabama. It's Alabama's favored because you said Texas was favored when you first came on. No, no, no. Bama's favored. Well, that's what I said. That's what I said. Who's on first? <laughs> Appreciate that. Did he? Am I right? Did he say? He, he said Texas was favored because me and Judah looked at each other. Favored. Yeah. Okay, there you go. I'll run the tape if I have to. 
All right, let's do a quick five at five. We gotta be we gotta be snappy with this. Let's do it though. Okay. The five at five. All right, number one, Stephen, what do you got? Number one, Travis Kelsey. He is going to be out for tonight's season opening game against the Lions. He hyperextended his knee on Tuesday at practice, but the Chiefs are going to rest him for tonight's game. Of course, in the Portland area, we'll have the game right here on 750, the game. Uh, but Travis Kelsey, big key, will be out in the season opening game for the Chiefs. All right, so you get a few moment of truth uh, moments in your season. Here's Here comes one for the Detroit Lions. They're They're getting the big stage. Dan Campbell's teams, you know, had a good stretch run last season to end the year. Here's their opportunity to show people that they're going to matter this season. Keep an eye on it. Number two. It's just good to have the NFL back, but uh, Commanders, they they have said that they will not go back to what they had in the past with the Redskins, as people asked about if they would ever change their name with new management and owners, Josh Harris, Mitchell Rails. They were talking to the media, assembled a crowd of almost 700 people, and they will not be changing their name back. They said eventually they could change their name from the Commanders, but they will never go back in history as they're looking to make uh, a more positive environment and look forward to the future. I don't know anybody who's missing the Washington Redskins nickname. Like I haven't heard anybody go, man, I sure missed that. So uh, I think it's a good move by the Commanders, and I think it's uh, appropriate. Number three. John, has been 68 days since Damian Lillard requested a trade from the Portland Trailblazers. <laughs> And it seems like we're no closer to a deal now than we were back on July 1st. Woj came out and he spoke a little bit about the trade and saying that the Blazers and Heat have not really even been communicating. There's not been a lot of communication on the Dame trade front at all, but that the NBA is a deadline league. And so the NFL or NBA training camp coming up in a couple weeks is the next deadline. He does expect the Blazers and the Heat to start talking again, but he also said he expects the Blazers to talk to other teams but if Dame is still with the Blazers by training camp, he says is a real possibility, and Dame may be on that roster. Yeah, I, I I lean more and more towards Damian Lillard being in a Blazers uniform or in street clothes versus being in Miami on on game one, minute one. I just don't think the Blazers are in a hurry to give up uh, the player that they view as their primary asset for pennies on the dollar. But 68 and, days, I, doesn't it seem like there should be something... Yeah. Something of the show for it. There's been nothing. There's been no plan or anything. Yeah, I've I've dealt with the Blazers organization for 20 years. This so, is so not surprising to you. This is not a surprise. They're not. Uh, they're not. You know, and, and and I don't blame them for this one. They've got some leverage here, and they're they're not in a hurry to give Dame what Dame wants. And I I don't I don't know if they're playing it right, but I'm not surprised by it. Number four. Ah, uh, so a couple weeks ago. Steven Strasburg announced that he was going to be retiring after 14 years with the Nationals, but the Nationals have called off a news conference that they had planned on Saturday to announce that because they have not finalized key details on the settlement of Strasburg's retirement. So in Major League Baseball, when a player decides to retire and he's still under contract with that team, he gives up the rest of the money that was owed to him unless the team and the player can agree on a settlement. Now, Strasburg, he is currently on the fourth year of a seven-year, $245 million contract (laughs) that he signed back in 2019 after the Nationals won the World Series. In that time since 2019, John, Strasburg has made exactly eight starts with the Nats with a 6.89 ERA, but he says he is not fully retired yet because he wants to get as much money as possible. <laughs> yeah, uh, show business, not show friends. Um, I mean, what a, what a bad would, contract. Yeah. That goes down as one of the Whew. worst contracts ever, right? Bad draft picks, bad contracts. They're trying to move on. He's going, well, wait, i got to get paid first. 
Uh, there's some other deals like that that are out there. I was, uh, you know, uh, I was looking at the worst contracts ever. Maybe we could talk about it a little bit on tomorrow's show. All right, number five, finally. Yeah, finally, Kim Mulkey, the uh, head coach of the LSU women's national champion basketball team. She agreed to a 10-year contract extension worth about $32 million. That sets a new mark for the richest coaching contract in women's college basketball history. LSU, they're going to return as the national title favorite led by Angel Reese. They also got a transfer, Haley Van Liff, who is from Louisville. Uh, she led she led Louisville in scoring two of the past three seasons. Now, Mulkey's new average annual salary of $3.2 million puts her ahead of UConn's Gina Oriema who's won 11 national titles in South Carolina's Don Staley, who's won two national titles. Mulkey, of course, she has won four national titles, uh, three with Baylor, one with LSU. Hey, there's no arguing that she, you know, she's a successful coach. She's got the blueprint. She can bring the players in. She knows how to win. Um, I still find her obnoxious on the sideline, and, and what, I just think she's really obnoxious. What about that investment into the women's game? Is that is that, That's a good yeah. thing, right? Yeah, and it is. It kind of, I think, foreshadows what we're going to see happen when the NCAA tournament revenue is split. Right now, the women's NCAA tournament revenue is combined with the men's. They're going to split away. They're going to get their own TV deal. And I think the programs are sort of positioning themselves going, hey, we've got some TV money that's going to come in that's going to be separate from what we earned before. It's going to be more money. Coaches like Mulkey, coaches like Kelly Graves, Gino Ariyama, Scott Ruick, they're, I think they're all going to participate to some extent in that. All right, we've got NFL football coming up. Uh, we're going to get interrupted here as Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs will be taking on the Detroit Lions and Dan Campbell. We will be back tomorrow with another great show, a Friday show. we got great guests on tomorrow, including Anthony Gold of Oregon State.